0: I thought we were recording for the last 10 minutes and we haven't been. So there's that. Yeah. Were you recording? Because I gave you permission.
1: No, no, and I didn't even think about it. That's okay. that's not bad. So uh so now we're both recording.
0: Okay, well that was kind of late. Well, <laughs>
1: was that a great podcast, or was that a I think yeah. that was the best podcast ever? <laughs> and if you're wondering what we're talking about, we've recorded for however many minutes, not that long really then realized oh no we didn't record so you missed oh i said such wonderful things tim oh we were back and forth the banter uh brilliant brilliant but unfortunately nobody heard it
0: well this is this week in common sense you're paul jacob you're going to talk about the big stories of the week that have occurred in the first week of february 2022 and the first one is the anti-free speech boycott from january 31st
1: Yes, and uh, this probably got the most uh, attention of any of the pieces. I think it's kind of the hottest issue this week, probably, um, is the this whole thing between Spotify and Neil Young and and Joe Rogan. And uh, see, this time I didn't have my senior moment <laughs> where I got, I don't know what I call Joe Rogan, but it's such a difficult name, Rogan. Anyway, um, but... I happen to be a lover of Spotify. My oldest daughter uh, for Christmas, whatever, for just being a good dad, something. Um, She has a family membership and a certain number of people. I'm one of her people. It's so wonderful. I love Spotify. I have about 6,000 songs I've liked. Can't play an instrument, can't read music, don't know anything about music, except I love it, all kinds. And so Spotify has been a wonderful thing for me. So I'm, I'm prejudiced here. I already like them going in, but the truth is I really like Neil Young and I, you know, I don't know him personally, but I like his music. Uh, You know, the the guy wrote Ohio, four dead in Ohio. How can you run when you know, I mean, this is, this is important. And, uh, and so I, I like Neil Young too. I am on the side of Spotify. And this was called the anti-free speech boycott. I had a friend who who happens to think that Rogan, you know, interviewing guests who say things against the vaccines or that create doubt is a is a terrible thing and is on the other side. Uh, And he argued and and I'd be willing to stipulate uh, probably um, that let's just call it the anti-speech boycott. Because at the end of the day, nobody in this commentary and in other things that we, we talk about this quite often because the, the attack on free speech, uh, not just in, in Beijing, but in Washington uh, and Silicon Valley and in other places is a serious problem. Uh, but here, we're not alleging anyone's violating anyone else's First Amendment rights to free speech. What we're alleging, it, in essence, is that they're violating the sensibility I have, and I think people should have, that we want speech, that we, we need the ability to debate, the ability for the dissenter to speak and say stuff that the authorities don't like, that cuts against the official narrative, and the more we try to hammer that out of existence, even if done in a, in a way that violates no one's rights legally, but a way that means that we keep our mouth shut from now on. And that anytime we want to say something against the official narrative, there's just no place to say it. That's not the world I want to live in. And you can get there in a totally, we didn't violate the law, although I think there's all kinds of violations of the law in the big picture here. But I'm just saying I'm not on Neil Young's side here because he's trying to stop speech. And if I thought this was screaming fire in a crowded theater where there was no fire, I guess I'd be less fond of it. But the truth is, if you're not willing to allow people to interview guests who are controversial, to hear the other side of some opinion about medicine or politics or whatever, we're going to live in a world that's stupider, much stupider, that isn't able to grapple with new problems because somebody makes a decision about what it is and everybody else falls in line. That's not the society that I want to live in and and so that I think this is an issue that keeps coming up and, uh, and I was going to just mention this and and breeze by but uh, it's probably worth spending a few minutes about it 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 is something I you know you're going to see more artists do this and more you know fights like this and uh and I think I think even when there's not a principle in law that is that is you know being dealt with There is the principle of we want robust debate and speech. And the idea that you're cutting against the official narrative means exactly zip to me.
0: Well, I kind of look at it like this. I look at it that we have the open arena of ideas where free speech would be, where it's not prohibited by some mechanism of any kind. And then we have safe spaces. I am for safe spaces, and I'm for arenas. And I don't like it when arenas, like Spotify, pretend to be safe spaces, or when safe spaces pretend to be arenas. You know, every home, in a sense, is a, a safe space. You basically, in your church or your mosque, you say what you want to say, but you don't right. give outsiders equal rights. That's right. just absurd. That's a safe space, just like homes are, like your apartment is, your, your bedroom. That's a safe space. And that's my property rights. But then we also set up the arena. The arena could be uh, just the world at large. I mean, you know, that, that and that's the idea with the First Amendment rights. When you say that no rights are being abrogated when... Mm-hmm this Neil Young thing happened. That may be true, though our politicians have been encouraging this. This last week they've they've encouraged that Spotify cracked down on misinformation and disinformation.
1: There's a lot of you know walking on the borderline and over the line and so on. Yeah. And we've mentioned the financial uh involvement with the government and, and some of these social media platforms and so on.
0: But all I'm saying is that free speech should be somewhere. Okay and it shouldn't be just in a bunch of safe spaces that is the only place i get to say what i want to say is in my home i can't use uh, you know social media or in this case a a networking service to speak my mind uh that seems like that would be very bad and the funny thing is the uh official narrative about covid is falling apart rapidly right now Uh, in britain israel multiple countries the majority of deaths, the vast majority of deaths are are happening among the vaccinated. And there's, I mean, it's getting weird. If you look at the, the recent John Hopkins study, which shows that masks don't work, lockdowns haven't worked, the whole thing is falling apart. It's an amazing thing. It came out just this week. And it's now that they're really cracking down on free speech, you know, against the narrative, when the narrative itself... Has almost no backing in science i mean the science is now crumbling so to me it looks like desperation on their part now neil young is a nincompoop who doesn't know any of this he's just following the lead of other nincompoops i,
1: I don't know that to be true and so you know i I'm, I'm not i'm you know don't think he's some expert on this whole subject but he is someone who you know had polio early in life he's had he's had some involvement with things that would that would cause him to you know, to, to have some interest more than the average person, average rock star, in in the issue, and and I don't think you have to like I don't I don't necessarily impugn his motives other than his instinct is wrong here. His really? instinct is exactly wrong here. On Wednesday, uh, we had the piece uh, "Pandemic Second Opinion," and. Maybe the most important part of this piece, go there. There's links to more information. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin did a a five-hour hearing. I didn't watch it all. You didn't watch it all, I don't think. Uh, But but you're welcome to. The beauty of it is that I'm glad he held it. And he had, uh, who is it, Robert Malone, you know, who's a, a doctor who has been, you know, saying some things that other doctors have not said. I want to hear people, who especially people like this, who have all kinds of expertise. The, when someone is speaking who has that kind of expertise against the official narrative, it is in everyone's interest to let them speak and to hear them out. And either it's going to show us that, you know what, even people who have a tremendous amount of expertise can be wrong sometimes. If you shut them up, and and that's if he's wrong, maybe he's going to be right. And then, oh, that's, thank goodness we let him talk. But if you shut him up, what message does that send? I'll tell you what message it sends to me as someone who doesn't have a medical uh, license and who doesn't know all about this. It tells me that I can't trust you. And if the official narrative is knocking other people out of the way and silencing them, then I can't believe the official narrative. And that's, I think, you know, personally, I probably would have been vaccinated sooner had I not been so distrustful of the the vaccination people, the government. And, And so this isn't, I mean, look, it's good to have an opinion, hey, here's where the science is, and I think this, and I've studied this, and we can come to different opinions. But we're, in in essence, I'm not even really getting there, because I don't think I have the expertise, and I've read enough to know that much about all of this. I just know that if you're silencing the people who disagree with you, I can no longer trust you.
0: Yeah, well, that's where I'm at, basically. Uh, to be the sign of somebody who has a weak case is somebody who uses non-arguments to settle the case. Right. Whether it's the blunt force or just simply shunning or uh, spittle, the suspicion is there they don't have much of a case. And in my defense of the accusation of nincompoopery upon uh, Neil Young, (laughs) um, my nincompoopery case is largely that uh, the more you know about and more you like vaccine technology from the past, like polio vaccination and so forth, the more you do you should be very concerned then when the current vaccines are nothing like the vaccines that you took and saved your life uh, because these vaccines aren't the same. In fact, they work on a very different set of principles. And uh, there's some reason to believe now that that's, that trick they're using by fixating on the spiked protein isn't everything that trick is cracked up to be, and there's and that that's where we're going to see it fall apart. Is that that was a trick? It's never been done before, but by fixing on that one element of the coronavirus, and then basing their whole therapeutics on that, and that applies as to the Johnson and Johnson as well as the mRNA technology. Uh, they may have I think they've bitten off more than they can chew, and I think they've caused a lot of problems. So I'll see, but in the case of uh, somebody like neil young or anyone who's really a pro-vaccine kind of person which i always have been by the way i've always been a pro-vaccine kind of person yeah I mean, I've, ne-
1: I've never been anti-vax although although i've always had some willingness to kind of think that look i don't know they may be right let's let's hear them out that's the. Well, that's, but and- here's here's part of it though with neil young and it and it goes we'll talk later about uh, Coca-Cola and Airbnb and Procter and Gamble and, and the, the folks who financed the Olympics. And, and you know kind of the idea that you're, you a lot of times want to say, you know, well, we're going we're gonna to do this. We believe this, like Coca-Cola, for instance. Uh, they had a lot to say about the Georgia election integrity legislation but not anything about any of the specifics of it, because I don't think they had a clue what any of it was about or had any real depth whatsoever. And I'm willing to, to believe that Neil Young may have had more depth, but I know this, I haven't heard any of it. And I don't, I'm not willing to just say, well, that's because Neil Young doesn't have any depth. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not arguing that he does have a tremendous amount of depth and he did this because he studied it and, you know, he stays up nights worrying about, but, um, but I am willing to say that the media isn't interested in it either. We get no depth. We get no granularity. No, everything is big headlines. And yes, now we can hate the other side. And yes, we are wonderful. And it's, even if you're on the right side, it's the sort of discourse that's going nowhere and and it's all virtue signaling and it's it, it's completely obnoxious. And of course the, the reason it kind of comes up um, you know when you're when you're talking about the Beijing Olympics, here are companies that because, Republicans passed a law that you have 15 days of early voting or something instead of you know more during the year in which we were in a pandemic, that that's worth going after them in every way, shape, and form, which just incidentally probably helps you politically. Hmm. But when China is sterilizing and murdering and torturing and raping. And imprisoning and committing genocide, and it isn't their first. Well, come on, it's sport. Because of course, if you said anything, you'd lose money. It's all about money with them, and it's and and we have to. You know, I kind of hate to always be the uh, not always because I'm not always, but you know, in this day and age in which everything's an outrage and everybody's boycotting everything. You kind of hate to boycott, but uh, we did a thing this week where we put out a, a video, uh, the real thing, And but the real thing wasn't Coca-Cola. We asked the question, what about the Uyghurs? And the real thing was genocide. It's the real thing. It is a time to stand up and say something. That's what we ended the week talking
0: about. I'll put up the uh, video at the end of this video, but the audio podcast. There's no point in putting up that uh, it's the real thing video on yes. the audio podcast because it really is a visual presentation. People can find it at Rumble, at YouTube, your pages there, and on right. Facebook. This is common common sense. Common with sense Paul Jacob. with Paul
1: Jacob. Yes, I think it's worth embarrassing these companies about this complete double standard. And about, frankly, um, look, I'm, I'm less concerned about them engaging in politics in an obnoxious way in the United States of America, in which I have every way to, you know, to, to fight back against them. Um, not every, but a lot. I'm more concerned with them whitewashing what is happening in China. And, and as I've said, from, you know, I've been on a tear about uh, uh fear of China and the China Nazis, because I'm, I'm convinced that they are Nazis. And um, I mean, it's an ethno state uh, where Han Chinese are the, you know, top race and uh, uh, top ethnicity. And, And frankly, they come first and they are committing genocide. I mean, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, The the concentration camps, you know, they give that funny connection Uh, and yet our society and and I've said from the beginning, I don't know exactly how we we solve all these problems. It's not like we can just flip a switch and uh, China becomes a free democratic country or the United States you know, sails in and says, well, you'll do this and you'll do that. We're living in a very dangerous world, but not recognizing this enemy is foolish. And we're guaranteed not to find the answer to keep a lot of people free, including ourselves, ultimately, if, if we don't recognize what China is. And part of the importance in recognizing what China is as a, as a government, Chinese people are like us, good. Unfortunately, like us, they have a rotten government and theirs is a lot more rotten and dangerous and deadly. But our government, as we have said many times, certainly appears to want to behave more like the Chinazis who are ruling China. And and that's something that is, again, worth recognizing because all of this free speech stuff we keep talking about and how the social media should be regulated and so on. Look, if you like that, go to China because they're regulating it all night and day and they're serious about it. They're not they're not doing it Washington style, you know, some bureaucracy that doesn't get stuff done. They're doing it uh, the the Nazi way. And, uh, and so if you love that, you got it. And, and unfortunately, I don't think the Chinese people love it. I, mean, I don't think all the people who are threatened by China, their neighbors, Taiwan, folks in Hong Kong who are already, I heard some report today where uh, a lot of uh, Hong Kong's freedoms have been diminished. A lot have been, it was like, they've got none. They have no political freedom whatsoever whatsoever it's like you know i just think it's like you you didn't want to say that and and oftentimes when i'm reading stuff about and i've, I've been saying this on this podcast and and to you whenever you would listen to him that i read stuff and it's like my goodness you know in in american politics the new journalistic thing is we have to tell everybody what to think about it. but when it comes so often to reporting about china it's couched in language that is hiding really serious stuff. Like, like rarely does anybody in the United States of America know that it's pretty well established that China for decades and decades has been using political prisoners as basically holders of organs they might want to extract and sell. Um, you know, this, and, and it goes on for decades and decades and apparently from most of the evidence, the Western governments aren't interested, but in independent efforts, it appears to still be going on. the The uh, the genocide against Falun Gong uh, is completely. I, I went to a movie and and it may write something about it because it is still showing in a lot of places in the country. But it's called Unsilenced, and it's a movie about the the uh, Chinese government. You know, Falun Gong, uh, Gong basically rose to be about 100 million people were considered themselves part of that spiritual movement that was more than members of the chinese communist party uh and um and so uh all of a sudden the chinese communist party decided it couldn't exist anymore and you were an enemy of the state if you practiced it and went on a genocide against that religious religious sect and, and by genocide, let's be clear, because we actually wrote a commentary about this maybe a year ago, some former ambassador had said they shouldn't be using the term genocide. And then when push said, well, you could call it a cultural genocide being committed against the Uyghurs. Not a genocide, but a cultural genocide. Well, genocide, you don't have to kill every member of a religious, racial, ethnic group Uh, for it to be considered a genocide if you do things like sterilize them so that they can't reproduce if you hold them in prison camps and beat them up all the time so they can't reproduce if you browbeat them and and punish them if they practice their religion all of these things are going on and all of those elements are genocide now it is also true that it's more serious where you know that <laughs> they are killing people and there have been uh, all kinds of allegations of rape as a means of torture and so on. It, it, look, when people believe they have the right to do any of this type of stuff, it's amazing how often they do it all. And that's what we have in China. And, and how do you stop that? How do you stop totalitarianism? anywhere from from encroaching i mean we thought look after world war ii wasn't it vanquished well no not really and frankly one of the things we talked about this uh, i think a week or two ago when we had the uh, orwell quote about how fascinated intellectuals in the west are with totalitarian schemes and he recognized that the key about orwell was not his analysis of the Soviet Union. Anybody could have figured that out. I mean, it was just there in front of you. The brilliance of Orwell is his understanding of how the same impulse was alive and unfortunately well in the West. And and that's what we're dealing with still today. And in fact, (laughs) we're dealing with it a lot more, I think today. I skipped some material here, uh, which we don't necessarily have to have to go back to at all. But I should mention that one of the scripts that uh, this week that I didn't mention previously uh, was Gerrymandering Proceeds Apace. And I just wanted to mention it real quick because this is a story that's important to see through the media, you know, uh, smoke screens. Republican politicians are not your friend. Democratic politicians are not your friend. They will use gerrymandering. This is a story about New York State and you're probably not gonna hear it because of course, most of the media is on the left and this isn't a good story for the left, so you're not gonna hear it. But they are gerrymandering districts there. They've overcome all kinds of attempts by the people to force some sort of redistricting commission that would do it without all the politics. Well, the only choice the voters had to enact such a thing was given to them by politicians, who of course created it in such a way that that uh, that independent commission was not independent, it was completely partisan. And when they couldn't get the map that the Democrats wanted, they punted and, and sent it back to the legislature. It now looks like New York will go from eight Republican congressmen to three. Now, you never know because there's actually elections, let's hope, and, uh, and that may not be the case, but that's what the map tends to show if people vote the party they did before in the precincts that they did before. That's what the map would create. It's why, um, first of all, single member districts don't have to be the way it is. If we had more districts and politicians were not so removed from us their ability to gerrymander and play all these games would be much reduced as well as the power of money. So there's all kinds of solutions for this. But I, I mentioned this, I didn't want to skip over it completely because there's all kinds of talk about election integrity. There's all kinds of lies being told by the media that uh, they're just ridiculous. And of course, if you know anything about any of these individual stories, you realize <laughs> how big the misrepresentations are. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, salute all of the bills that have been passed in the states. Most of them have been pretty reasonable bills. The scariest as we have continually uh, talked about it, this is common is the federal legislation that the media tells us is in response to what's happening in the states Republican legislatures in the states after what happened on January 6th. Now the reality is virtually every word of the Democrats congressional legislation was written and has been being pushed for two, four years before any of this. So to portray it as a response to what Republican legislators are doing in the states well, is dishonest that is the way it's it's constantly portrayed so it's just it, it it's again and again and it's important i thought uh to bring this out because it's another case in which you're not likely to hear anything about it because it's happening on the democratic side
0: and i have friends who insist that it's only republicans who want to uh, mess with the voting system for instance I have Democratic friends who says that's what Republicans do.
1: They all do the gerrymandering and legally they're allowed to do it. Um, the, the, the problem is, I think one of the reasons that gerrymandering is talked about as much as it is, you can only go so far through gerrymandering. And there are times where there's been gerrymandering where someone had a brilliant idea and it ended up costing their party. So it's not as if it's always as successful as it's portrayed as the press is hyping what's happening. But it's, it's a bad thing. It's not the key problem. The key problem is incumbents who don't really have to listen to you or to me because we don't matter that much. And that's due to the fact that they build up more and more incumbency power. And it's due to the fact that at least for Congress, the district that they rule over, Is 750,000 on average people. So if you call and say, "Hey, I don't like this or that," when then you go through some program and you're stuck in this slot, they don't care. They don't care. You don't matter. You're one of 750,000 people. So you're upset. Bug off. And the difference is, you know, uh, a state like New Hampshire in their state house. The average district is 3,000 people. Now, you're a legislator, and you get a call from seven people who are upset about a certain thing that happened and want you to look into some legislation that's been proposed. You're going to look into it. Seven people in a district that's 3,000. There's probably only 1,500 voting. These seven people get 20 frenzy. I mean, all of a sudden, things have changed. Seven or 70 people call you in a district that's 750,000, it it's just, it's a totally different game. So there, there are things that we've got to do to our political system um, and reforms that have to get made. But almost all the reforms that are talked about and are brought forth by politicians are gonna be pretty rotten reforms. And, and it doesn't mean that the people don't come up with some rotten ones too. One of the things, just since I'm on this tangent, that I like about small districts is that it makes a difference in campaign finance. I have always been big on the first amendment. I don't want the government regulating everything that's spent, controlling everything. I don't think you ought to have to have lawyers and accountants to to play in politics. And I see almost all the campaign finance reform making it difficult for folks like me who want to play in politics, but we're not exactly at the, you know, we don't have enough billionaires behind us. I'm working on it, but, um, and it, and it doesn't, it doesn't stop the folks with money at all. Just not at all. It's just how many accounts? you have. Here's the check. Go do it. And, and so I see that system and yet I don't like, people being able to have outsized influence because they can write a check. Um, I think, you you know, you're going to have some influence and that's right, but you don't want it to be everything. You don't want political races where people don't know anything about the people. And therefore, whatever they're hearing on TV is the sum total of what they know in smaller districts like in New Hampshire. If you go into a house race there and you spend a bunch of money, people are looking at you like you're crazy because you're doing damage because they know that guy. They may not like him. They may be a Democrat. He's a Republican. I'm not going to vote for him. But don't call him a bunch of names because I I go to the same church. I know he's a good guy. You know, in that sort of politics, money is completely disarmed. And, and it's disarmed without taking anybody's First Amendment rights away. And so that ultimately is, is where political change ought to be going.
0: I'm going to ask the dumb guy question, because I don't really know a lot about redistricting and gerrymandering. I mean, I've never studied this subject but when you look at the problem which is you know the creating you know splitting jurisdictions up in funny ways to to get slivers of populations to vote you know one party over another i mean that's the basic idea right why don't they just a a general rule like saying you can't split up a county unless there's it's above a certain population so counties have to be in one district they can't split up counties unless The, you know, some county has this huge amount. So maybe one county gets split up 10 different ways, but all the other counties have to be maintained whole in a district. Isn't that a rule that could be made that would make sense.
1: Another way to talk about that would be compactness that you're you're not wanting to split up like if you could make one city its own district.
0: You wouldn't
1: instead split it and make it part of two districts. You'd keep it compact. Right. And there's certain principles like that you could push. None of those are required by law, but you could pass a law that that does require it. It's a little more complicated in actually making all those decisions, I think. Here's the other thing. People tend to live together in certain ways. For instance, one of the reasons, like in, in some of the elections, more Democrats got more votes and Republicans got more seats. And one of the reasons that is, is there are very few Republican districts in this country in which the Republican gets beyond 68% of the vote, let's say. Every district in New York City, the Democrats gonna get 80, 90% of the vote. And so uh, in San Francisco, they're gonna get, there are lots of Democratic districts where the winner is getting eighty percent, and you can go in and you could take different things to to create districts where that's not as much the case. But of course, you can't you can't district across state lines, so you can't really do away with that altogether. And uh, and so when when you're doing that sort of districting, you could split it up, but that's even more drawing crazy lines that don't make sense. Um, and I think there is something that. We want people who have the same situation. You don't want to grab like half of a big city and then go way out into the rural area where you've got completely different interests in in the people who are representing. And I think there's two ways to deal with that problem. One is to do multi-member districts where even if you're not the biggest group in the bigger district now, you could get some representation. But I like smaller districts. And more reps, no, no more money. More reps, but make them much more uh, low-paid volunteers, regular folks, and um, and have that sort of ethic. And then you've got you've got a situation in which you're not trying to split up some big city or grab a chunk. Every little tiny chunk has got their own representative. And this city that before the question, are they going to be part of two? Uh, representative districts or are they going to be their own? Well, now they've got five or 10 within their city. In other words, it's a lot more districts because instead of that district being 200,000, it's 30,000. And what that would mean, of course, is you're going to have big legislative bodies. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple pie in the sky. No, we can't do that because, well, they can't all get together then. Well, they can all get together still, but they probably aren't as likely to get together for months, only together in a Capitol building and so on. Those times they get together are going to be for shorter intervals. And they're going to do more stuff online. They're going to vote more from their district. I think those are all good changes and smart changes. So uh, there, there's a lot there. And there's a lot to, you know, in essence, I think for people to, to think about that we almost have to get to a society in which people can think about things and discuss them without the five minute hate, you know, without the, Oh, that's the bad guys and we hate them. And here's why that idea is really designed to, you know, destroy our society. Um, So it's, it's, it's the, the hope for like meaningful reform is in some ways just seems so remote And yet, the public, I've known since I worked with term limits in the early 1990s, the public is with us. The public wants this reform. The problem is finding some way to implement it. And that's a heck of a problem. But the support for serious reform and the concern that government is completely out of control is greater today than it was three decades ago. And frankly, because, uh, and it shows the lack of success, government's more out of control. And, and especially, you know, we see with the with the pandemic, I don't think anyone's gonna give Joe Biden high marks on dealing with the pandemic. And of course he's dealt with the easier part of it, it seems like to me, and nobody's gonna give Trump high marks for dealing with it and frankly get past the political leaders, I don't give high marks to Anthony Fauci for dealing with it or for the other people at the CDC or NIH. We, we have not gotten a competent, efficient, medical you know, hierarchy to help us through this pandemic very well at all. And yet we have gotten all the authoritarianism that you might fear in when when you know stuff hits the fan and people are scared
0: so you wrote two other pieces that you've not talked about Uh, well i'm I'm
1: hiding that from people
0: okay linkedin red-handed from tuesday another piece about social media and china (laughs) right and then nobody cares on friday
1: well, I did sort of deal with nobody cares, uh, but we'll get we'll we'll deal with that a little bit more. But uh, the the LinkedIn, I think, is you know this <laughs> this is worth considering uh, that it just it's like on the littlest things um, that that LinkedIn basically is trying to hide um, the the whole you know. The fact that there's a best-selling book out called Red Handed. I'm actually reading it, uh, not as we speak, but uh, but read some last night to, to begin it, and uh, we'll be reading more of it. Uh, but it's about the collaboration uh, between American elites and Xi Jinping and the and the Chinese Communist Party, and we again see. LinkedIn, and we've seen them in several different places doing things like censoring stuff before China has asked them to censor it and being somewhat not fully transparent about what they're doing. And in this particular case, I guess that what was so funny is that they basically alleged that Breitbart, which had had a story about it, that this was bullying China. And, um, And the idea that somehow somebody writing a book is bullying uh, a a government that's committing, you know, what, their third genocide uh, that we know of uh, is, it kind of shows you where a lot of big tech, you know, we we talk about big tech, we talk about big government, we talk about uh, big medicine. Um, There's something not good about big. And it's not the size, it's the lack of any accountability. Well. And and then the the, the last piece, Tim, just to cut you off, don't let you say anything. I'm, so, I'm sorry about that. Uh, nobody cares. We we kind of dealt a little bit with the Olympics. We've been we've been doing some things. We have a, a video, we've done some memes about corporate sponsorship of the genocide games. But we had in, what, a couple weeks ago, Chimot uh, Pillip. Uh, I, I actually, I went to a video. I went to a video. I said this name like three or four times before we got on. But it's just, I'm doing it at the end now. So I've lost all of that. But it's Palipatia,
0: I think Palapatiya?
1: Yes. Okay. Um, that's that's close. That's close. Anyway, I did listen to a video. Of course, they may have been wrong. Uh, but anyway. He was uh, born in uh, Sri Lanka. He uh, lived in Canada and the U.S., has citizenship, I think, both, both places, uh, venture capitalist, billionaire, worked for Facebook. But he's the guy who came out and said, hey, nobody cares about the Uyghurs. And as we discussed, you know, he was basically using that as people use it. Nobody really cares. They're not going to do anything. And what he meant was he didn't particularly care. At least it wasn't on his you know the top of his concerns. And you know, maybe he feels like there's nothing that he can do. But I'm convinced there are things that we can do and 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 having some concern about stuff like this is the start. I think this piece, we basically talk about what he's had to say and then what other folks have had to say about the Olympics. And I just make the point that, look, uh, you know, I had a friend who uh, said, you know, he's he's got somebody he knows who's in the Olympics and he's going to (laughs) watch. And, you know, I don't think somehow that he's facilitating, you know, Xi Jinping and and tyranny. I understand that. Um, I had another friend who called me today and said, I drink Coke all the time. I'm not drinking any Coke. Uh, You know, look, do what you are moved to do. I'm just saying this is, yeah, Diet Coke. I see that. Uh, This is worth saying something about doing what you can about not being closed off about because this threat is not just the Uyghur's problem. It's all of our problem in the same way that, you know, I'm I'm sure there were people who thought, look, Oh, they're complaining in Germany. Uh, I mean, what's the big threat? Uh, It, it, became a threat, and and when people talk about invading neighbors, when they talk about you'll be bloodied if you do anything we don't like, you know, when, when you can't go to the Olympics without leaving your phone at home and bringing a burner phone because you can't trust the surveillance state you're going into, I think we're talking about a totalitarian regime, and I think we already know Totalitarianism isn't good, and and so anyway. Uh, but I, I I thought there was one quote that that uh, summed it up uh, to me, and that was Omer Kennett. And again, I have no clue that I'm pronouncing that even close to what you actually say. But he is the executive director of Uyghur organization, trying to you know wake people up, and he said the specter of the Olympics cannot cover up genocide. It's hard to understand why anyone feels it's even possible to celebrate international friendship and Olympic values in Beijing this year. And I don't know how you argue uh, with that. How do you go and celebrate? um, You know, I love to celebrate, but there's nothing worse than celebrating something and realizing this isn't something that should be celebrated, that we have no reason to celebrate. You know, it seems like Ayn Rand sometimes said something about that. I can't, I can't remember what it was, but there is something just wrong about always celebrating when there's no reason to celebrate. I, you know, I think getting together with people from all over the world, and I've gotten an opportunity to do that in my life, is one of the things I cherish. And boy, that is worth celebrating. But if the cost of that is to not is to go to some place where you're a pawn in some, you know, dictator's uh, nightmare, that's not that's not something to celebrate and go. Oh, what the heck? It's you know, let's have fun. Um, let's have fun. And uh, and I think the, the start of having fun would be to release a bunch of people in concentration camps in Xinjiang. Xinjiang. Um, anyway, we should probably end this podcast on that wonderful note of freeing uh, millions of Uyghurs. We don't claim that this podcast uh, is gonna free millions of people, uh, but it's not gonna hurt. And, uh, and we're gonna do what we can to not only remember what's going on in Southeast Asia, Uh, what's going on in the rest of the world, but to make certain that freedom of speech and political rights exist here in America. And those are not mutually exclusive uh, things that have to be kept apart. We are, every time that we speak out uh, about freedom in America, we are helping people all over the world, and every time that we speak out about freedom all over the world, we are helping people right here in America.
0: Well, very good. Now, the place for people to go is thisiscommonsense.org. That's where they can find our Rumble page and the YouTube page where we have the video you've been talking about. Uh, thisiscommonsense.org also has steal this meme, a little category up on top, which will have the video so you can easily see it. and from that page you can also find the soundcloud audio hosting page but of course you can many- find
1: everything every all roads lead to this is sense.org. and uh, we do have the podcast now on rumble and youtube so that it's on both when the skies are sunny and when the clampdown comes it'll be on rumble
0: There you are. There you are, and right after this on the video, I'll run the uh, real thing video.
1: And for you listening on Sound uh, SoundCloud, uh, go to thisiscommonsense.org and you can see it.
0: Very good.